of salvation. Thank you for loving us, and we see, Lord, how instrumental that you worked out salvation perfectly. The the over 400 prophecies that pointed to Jesus that are fulfilled in Christ. You've gone to such great lengths to bring about salvation. Lord, we can trust you with all our soul, all our life, all our resources. And we thank you that you, Lord, are the one who blesses us, who provides for us all that we have truly is yours, belongs to you. So I pray, Father, that as we give this morning and our regular offering and for the Benevolence Fund, that we would have a heart overflowing, desiring to honor you and to glorify you and to worship you. Let our hearts be full of joy and cheerful because we realize you, Lord, know us as sons and daughters, not according to what our resources say or what the world might say. So we thank you for that. We pray your blessing upon the offering that it be used for the, pro- uh, the preaching and proclamation of the gospel. And that here, Lord, through us, you would grow your kingdom. And to that end, we ask all these things in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, men. <clears throat> well, at this time, would you please... As we continue in worship, turn once again to the book of Exodus, or if you've been reading in Deuteronomy, Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5, Um, the last, we've come to the last commandment. Now I know it says part 12 and there's 10 commandments, Uh, don't give me a hard time about that, there was two right before and so there are 10, we've come to the 10th. And I simply title this, Be Content. Of course, the commandment is instructing us not to covet. Cover, covet our neighbor's spouse, nor their goods, nor servants, nor anything, as Moses would record for us. Uh, we're not to do that. Now, if I was to ask you, out of all of the, of the uh, loving our neighbor as our self-commandments, 5 through 10, Uh, Where would you place this one? Is this the greatest need for our culture, our community? You might make a big case for this one very well because we see it uh, lived out. Now, in this passage, we'll notice that there are things in which uh, we are to be uh, seeking after. There are good things of life and of the Word and of God and uh, society that we are to desire, we're to rightly desire. Um, but we are not to desire the wrong things. And I think uh, the world is definitely run down the road with desiring and coveting. We see uh, our world just saturated with presenting things that, that you're lacking, so you might do whatever means possible to get. Uh, but the Christian is to be content, acknowledging that all I have is from the Lord, and uh, the fact that I have life and breath today, and that I'm assembling with God's people to worship Him, uh, what a blessing that is, regardless of what the world may say you don't have enough of. I am content in the Lord. We, we are to be there. But this is where I think uh, a lot of Christians can lose sight of what it truly means. We are to, to, as I mentioned earlier, better our station in life. Those things are good. But we lose sight of, uh, of why we do what we do. 
there was a, a TV show, I've never watched this show, it was called The Goldbergs, and there was an episode that uh, I came across, I read, and I thought this is kind of befitting. There was an episode in which uh, Jake, the husband, comes home to his wife, Molly, and he has a desire to uh, start a business. Tired of being broke, I think, and he wants to make some changes, which is admirable. His wife, for some reason, has money set aside for this business, and so she's eager and desiring to see it go forward. And so at dinner time, they're talking about their plans, and somewhere along the line, uh, the husband loses sight of why they're doing this, and he mentions to his wife how much better, right, it'll be, there'll be a day when we're sitting at the dinner table and we'll be eating on gold plates. And the wife seems to have a little bit of a grip of reality, at least I think some more wisdom. She replies and says, Jake, darling, will the food taste any better? It's easy for us to lose sight of that line between being content and and yet working to better ourselves in life. Well, this is uh, the command of the Lord. It's uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And I'll read it from this passage. I'll later read from the other. But this is what is recorded for us. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his axe or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let me offer a brief prayer. Father, as we look at this passage now, I'd ask that you would... Extend to us, Father, your spirit, that you would open our minds and, Lord, instruct us that we would not simply be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of your word, and we would grow today. So, Father, to that end, I ask you to get me out of the way that we would receive what you have for us today, and I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. So, as I mentioned in every one of these, I think I have, and, and if I didn't, shame on me, but... At the beginning of every one of these, I want to stress that that I I hope that you're seeing you are truly, and when the Bible speaks of a a set-apart people, of a sanctified people, you're it. As we follow the commandments, it sets us on a different trajectory than the rest of the world. I've made mention to the commandments of loving our neighbor. Which one do you think our culture needs the best? Well, well, we do, it's easy to point out to, to the world and say, well, they need this, that, and the other, right? It's a lot different story to look at our own hearts and go, what do I need? But as we, as we pursue, and it's not about gaining or earning salvation, we're saved in Christ and Him alone. But as those who love the Lord, we want to honor the Lord. And so we have learned that there is to be no rivalries to our loyalty. God is to be supreme focus of our lives. And the first four commandments stress this. Number one, we are to have no other gods before him. Whatever idol you're, you're putting in your heart, you are to purge it. Whatever, if you're lukewarm in your pursuit of the Lord, you are to fix that, repent of it. What is keeping you? Where is this, the passion burning out? Well, what is, what is what's happening there? And we see that throughout the scriptures. Paul writing to the Galatians, what, what has bewitched you? What happened? We need to be aware of that in our own hearts. So we want to have complete loyalty to God. That's the first commandment. We realize that he is Lord of our thought life. We don't want to take anything that is attached to God and attach it to anything that does not represent God. There should be no idols. We see our words are important. 
We're not to use the Lord's name in vain. We're not to talk bad about his attributes, about his creation, how he has presented himself in creation and through mankind. He's Lord over our time. He has given us a day rest. We sometimes think I've got one or I've got the other six to myself and I give him one. The reality is he has given you all seven. He's given you six to get your work done and given you the seventh for rest. All belong to him. Those are the first four. If we want to love our God and, and truly follow after him, the love of the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, uh, that's what the commandment is calling us. Those are the vertical commands, if you will. And then we've come to the ones which we've been working on. How do we love our neighbor? Well, we have seen that, number one, family. If you want to love, you want to love your neighbor, then pour into your family. Honor your father and mother. Raise godly children. Uh, that's paramount for a society. Uh, we see that number six, do not murder. I appreciate my neighbors holding on to that one. I think I've said that every Sunday, too. I, you still laugh at it, so I'll keep going. Uh, number seven, do not commit adultery. Don't break or attack the family. Uh, do not steal. Number eight, do not bear false witness. We are not to be liars. We are truth bearers. We represent God who is holy. That's number nine. And th today we're looking at not to covet. We do not covet our neighbor's stuff, stuff that's not ours. The word covet means to feel strongly about or desire for something that is not yours. And then it says to a fault. Like we are to pursue this with nothing else on my schedule but to go after that thing, to covet it. The word desire is also used, not in this, in Exodus, but Moses will use it in Deuteronomy. We're not to desire and the word means to lust strongly after others' possessions. So we see that. It makes sense. I think you understand those words. That's what we're saying. And we're not to covet uh, anything else that belongs to our neighbor. We're not to look over the fence of the backyard and go, whoa, whoa I wish I had that, whatever that is. Now, again, I've said this. This is prevailing in our society. We almost, seems like we almost endorse this kind of thinking, right? That uh, advertising, I don't know if you've watched advertising. What is it saying? You're lacking. You need something. Here's something shining. You better do whatever it takes to get that. Our culture craves the things of the world. We know that Satan is the god of this world. It's led that way. So it's not a shock when we see neighborhoods break down. We see coveting and thievery and the like happen in our neighborhoods. And we realize also, what we'll learn from this, is that coveting will enslave your soul. It will affect the way you think. It will affect your time schedule. It will affect where you go, what you do, because that one thing will consume much of your thinking and time and planning. It will own you. It becomes an idol. It breaks the second commandment quite quickly, and of course the first as well. Covening leads to so many other sins. It's what we'll see through this. A person who covets after someone else's spouse leads to adultery. And Jesus said that is done in the heart, let alone before there's even action. 
A person who covets money and property most likely is going to be led to steal it or, or somehow achieve it with unrighteous means. A person who, who covets recognition might do some shady things about other co-workers so they shine a little bit brighter to the boss. And that list can go on and on and on. We could add quite a bunch to that. But the point simply is the idea of coveting and desiring the wrong things is destructive. There is powerful wisdom here, if you will, to say that the Lord has put this one last. So we see it leads to the breaking of the rest. And this is, this is also a point, and we'll see this throughout the message, that the Lord has placed this last. So if you're like uh, Saul before he was Paul, where you thought you had all these things worked out, I've got nine going, I'm struggling with the tenth, and you come to realize that in, in reality you're, you're breaking all of them as he came to, to know and to understand uh, well, then I pray that today would be a day right, of repentance and belief on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that is what we need. As Christians, we need to be saturated with Christ and content in the Lord. So what are we to learn? My first point is simply this from this commandment, that the, the commandment is for the protection of society. I've read the Exodus passage, the Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21, reads like this. A little bit, it's similar, but a little few different words. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire, there's that word, your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his axe, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So we realize that coveting is not something we, we simply always demonstrate. It's seen ultimately, but uh, for the most part, it's an act of our heart. It's an act of our thinking. Uh, the Bible uses heart and mind interchangeably, so it's, it's part of our thinking process. We begin to desire, we begin to think upon something to the point where it leads to an action or, or manifests itself in some way. Uh, the commandment, like the Eighth Commandment, which is stealing, uh, states that, in essence, God thinks that you should have stuff. This is a capitalistic idea. Uh, it's written from the assumption that you're going to own things, your neighbor is going to own things, there's going to be ownership. It's not a communist idea, it is a, right, a capitalistic idea. And society is to function this way, and we learn that uh, we are not to, to be consumed by the things our neighbor has, but we are to delight and what the Lord has provided. So in a society that is built upon right, the, the righteousness of God and upon his laws would be a society that would be secure. Sin, of course, has wrecked this whole thing, but we see that the importance of God's standard. God wants you to feel secure, to feel protected, your spouse and your family, your property, possessions, and, and to have joy in the context of living your life. Now, that doesn't often happen in our societies. Often we experience the opposite. But as I mentioned, this has to deal with society. It has to deal with how we function and how we live together. I want you to notice that uh, the commandment does not say simply do not covet, period. It puts a lot of adjectives to that verb. We're not to covet anything, if you will, anything of our neighbor. 
That's what's forbidden. We are, we are uh, if you use the word house here, it can be translated family or property. But I think it gets to the point where Moses says, anything that belongs to your neighbor. Then we can ask the question, who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus answered that for us, every person we come in contact with. So it's not just the one over the fence you're looking. It is the person you come in contact with in society. We're not to desire anything of theirs in a way where which we covet. We are to desire what is good. The Lord has placed in us the, the right way there is in which we can build a society upon righteousness and justice. So we are to, to seek and to covet and to desire what is good and what is proper. It's okay to start a business and better your station. It's okay to offer uh, more jobs to others who can work now. Those are good things in our society, but we lose sight of it if it becomes more about the gold plates than the food upon it. See, in the scriptures, there are certain things in which we are called to desire. Listen to scripture here, James 1.17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning, the NASB says, or shifting shadow. Every good thing comes down. We are to seek after and desire. Jesus said we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We are to seek after the kingdom of God, his kingdom, his righteousness. Paul, speaking of spiritual gifts, says earnestly desire the greater gifts. If we are to, to build into a society, it is good that we have those who seek things that, such as justice and righteousness. We have those who genuinely love their neighbor, who are looking out for their neighbor, not what uh, they can desire or covet from them, but how can we better them? How can we support them? How can we encourage them? becomes, right, the protection there is, an understanding in us as Christians in, in which we want to, to covet the good things. From our scripture reading, Psalm 19, verses 9 and 10, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable. Than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. The psalmist is saying, desire the judgments of the Lord. Desire the fear of the Lord. Desire, right, that humble walk with God. Desire the, the picking up of the cross and following after Jesus. These are the things Scripture says you should be pursuing the commandment is simply teaching a ban against any sort of coveting what is wrong. Now, uh, we could say this is kind of a rhetorical question. I believe you could answer it like me. What kind of society would we build if it was full of people who are consumed, coveting, desiring other people's things? 
See, we have the ability, and this commandment speaks to this, that we can build a society that is based on justice and righteousness. We seek those good qualities. We want to see those in our leaders. We desire and will not settle for anything less. Well, we can have a society that's built upon lawlessness, where people are allowed. Today we see, and you see it in our culture it's almost an act of endorsement upon those to go and steal. There is an independent right somewhere, uh, depending right on who you are, that you can have the right to take from others. See, the way we, we understand this, this, this commandment uh, has a way to either strengthen a society or to really undermine its foundation. Notice that also with this commandment, there is no penalty in the verse. There's no penalty here that says, look, if you're doing this, this is what you can expect. It leaves that alone. But we can see right in our own culture what is the product of coveting. Quite quickly, listen to this. We can go through the commandments. Coveting, as I mentioned earlier, is a starting point of stealing. It's the thinking that results in taking the breaking of the Eighth Commandment. Coveting is the starting point of adultery when we're seeking someone else's spouse. That's the breaking of the Seventh Commandment. The covenant to this uh, number nine, or excuse me, number ten, uh, is the, uh, the starting point to worshiping creation and not the Creator because you have a fixed on something you desire, something more than you desire of the Lord. You're breaking the first commandment. By necessity, since you have uh, so seeking after that one thing, it's become an idol. You're breaking the second commandment. Coveting is the starting point to taking the, names Lord, or excuse me, the name of the Lord in vain. Uh, Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit. He wanted to steal, to hold back, to, to keep something. It leads him to lying. Breaks the third commandment. Covenanting is the starting point to breaking the Lord's day worship. Uh, if there's something i got to get, I'm going to work, I'm not going to rest. And most likely we're going to feel some conviction if that idol is strong in our hearts. We're not going to want to assemble with God's people. Covenanting is the starting point to lying. I must justify it to myself. Maybe to others as well. Coveting, which is the ninth commandment. Uh, coveting is the starting point to the breakdown of the family. I'm going to listen to self and not my parents. The fifth commandment. And we see coveting is the starting point to murder. Judas loved money more than Jesus. It is the foundation. What society can we build if we're consumed with coveting, we're going to see all of these unfold. For the Christian is to come back and desire what is right, to speak to what is right, to stand for what is right. <clears throat> this commandment, even though it's, it's simply this, it seems like a personal thing between you and your neighbor, if you will, but really how we live our lives and conduct our lives and the things uh, that we commit ourselves to and the raising of our children, all of this comes into play and how we will build and live in a healthy uh, society or not. It's vital. And you can see why the Lord placed it last. Many of us might have been going through these and going, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Here, we must reevaluate 
It's the starting point. So the Lord gives this for the protection of the society. He calls us in the midst of society, and that's my second point, to be content. I kind of used that in the title. You knew it was coming, right? So we've got to be content with what we have for society to function. You've got to be okay. You have to be okay with how the Lord has led your life and the things that he has provided for you. That does not mean that you can't work hard and, and better your station. By all means, let the Lord guide you and direct you through prayer. But we are to rest in the fact that the Lord is good. He is good to me. I have life. I have breath. I have eaten this morning. I've come to church. I get to hang out and worship with the greatest people on the planet. I am a blessed man. I thought there'd be more amens to that, but okay. <laughs> you guys are humble. That's what it is. And contentment is a safeguard. <clears throat> the Lord calls us to be content so we might safeguard and protect our hearts from that temptation of, of, of worrying or thinking about other things. See, the discontented man, he sees people as a means to an end. How can these people help me get what I want? But the contented person is free from that. I don't have to worry about things. Yes, i got to go to work. I need to provide for my family. The Lord expects you to do that. If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. If you're able to work and not do that, we see that in Scripture. But the contented man is free from that burden. I can serve, I can love, genuinely love, because I know the Lord is pleased. Paul said uh, to, first, in, to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. That sounds so easy, isn't it? Oh, godliness, contentment. I've got this one locked down now, you might be thinking. Well, what keeps us from being content? There are probably many to this list. I'm just going to grab the, the, the top two, I think. And the first one is worry. Why do we struggle with contentment? Well, pastor, we look at the world. We see what's going on in the culture. I'm not so sure. I'm not sure how this is going to play out. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. First gospel in the New Testament, Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. We'll read verses 25 through 34. Under my Bible, it says, The cure for anxiety. Matthew 6, beginning of verse 25, says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Just end right there, right? Don't worry about your life. You're good. And then Jesus expands. As to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor uh, for your body, as to what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they, uh, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory 
clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So here is the question, what more would you want? God who has made you is the one who will provide for you. Worry, according to Jesus, is useless. It can improve nothing, verse 27. It's unnecessary. Why? Because your heavenly Father knows your needs. Verse 32. He can be trusted in what we are called to do. We are called to seek. As I'm seeking the kingdom and his righteousness, these things will be taken care of. He calls worrying, he equates it to little faith. And he tells you, do you not know that God clothes the lilies and the grass? So for us, here's the struggle. Are we going to trust and rest in the contentment that God has, has given us what we need? We're going to rest and be content there. Or are we going to worry? And Jesus is not simply, simply saying you should uh, park it on easy streets and uh, fold your hands and, and you're good. He's telling us, no, you have to work. You have to contribute. But in the process of doing that, we should have faith that says, my Lord will provide. So a challenge to us in contentment is going to be worry. We're going to, we're going to question, uh, is, is God really going to bring this about? Uh, is he really going to meet our needs? Is he, uh, is he in charge? Is he not in charge? That's a question for your own walk with the Lord. But our response is always to be, I'm going to praise you, whether you have provided the things I think I need or not need, but I, I'm going to rest in the fact and be contented in the fact that you will meet my needs. Lord, however you go about this, Lord, thank you. So worry will challenge us. The other thing is, I think on the other side of it, is greed. Listen to the Apostle Paul, again, writing to Timothy 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, sometimes we worry about not having enough. We start pursuing and bettering ourselves, but in the process of bettering ourselves, we lost sight we're more consumed by the gold dishes. See, and greed leads men to commit violent things. It seems like every television show out there has an element of greed as a motivator somewhere in it. It turns a heart that loves its neighbor to a heart that begins to hate 
John said this in 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. We see two wonderful points that we need to take note here. I worry when I'm not seeking the kingdom. My eyes are not fixed on Jesus. He says, here's your fix. Seek the kingdom. And, and John is saying the same thing. When there's, when there's a worldly desire, when there's greed, it leads me away. It's not from the Father. It is the world. I am seeking the world. And I say that this is bad. There was a, a survey. I did not put down the, the year. I'm sure it was like 2013, I think. <clears throat> where Pastor Kent Hughes had wrote an article about it. And the question was, what were you willing to do for $10 million? Right? What would you be willing to do? And they had various answers, and uh, the report did find, out of the options you could select, that 25% would abandon their families. $10 million, abandon your families. 23% would become a prostitute for a week. And 7% would kill a stranger. Now, the survey was based on 100 Americans. So in a room of 100 people, seven, seven would kill. If you didn't know, it would kill you if you were a stranger for $10 million. See, it is a problem. Greed is a problem. It leads to more problems. When our heart is set on these things, we are not uh, imaging our Father. We're imaging the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, it's leading you away. Paul gives us a picture of his own life. His, the one who is content, or excuse me, content, he says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, Paul is, I think, drawing from Hebrews 13.5, which says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Now, money into itself is important. We must, right, work for money. We must put food on the table for our families. But the love of money. He says, the Hebrew writer says, Being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. See, the Hebrew writer is saying the same thing. When our eyes are off of the Lord, when we're off of, of Christ, when we're off of God, when we're off of that knowledge that he'll never leave me nor forsake me in the situation that I'm in where I know he'll be with me, my eyes are off of that. Well, then they're going to be on something else. And the world is shouting, you need more stuff. You couldn't survive the Christmas season without that. You need stuff. It's just stuff. You need more of it. 
There was a millionaire in France who was quite a miser, and, and in order to protect his, his wealth, he uh, bought he had a home, and he dug a cave. And back of his home, out the backside of his wine cellar, and it was deep, and he had a door on it. He had to have a ladder to get down into it. Somewhere along the line, he got down into that wealth, and the door had shut behind him, and no one could find him. Years had passed. His property went through all the different means in which to be sold. It finally got sold. And one day on that property, the gentleman who owned the house found the door, opened the door, found the man dead. Of course, probably starved to death. But hey, he had all his money down there. See, these things, the, the lust of the flesh, the pride of the air, they're designed to lead you away from the Lord. And the Lord tells us, put your eyes upon Jesus. Run this race, be content. That's the safeguard. And this becomes really the foundation, if you will, for this whole uh, last covenant, I believe, uh, this commandment, rather, uh, is the, my last point. The commandment is to propel us to Christ. Of course, the law is to reveal our need of a Savior, but this one is pointing us uh, to see the helplessness in which we are unto ourselves and the hope and help we have from God. See, knowing the love of Christ is the only true source of true contentment. That's what Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom. But here's the reality. I do not know your heart. Only you and God knows what's going on in your mind. The commandment is to be satisfied with God and what he has provided. Not to be satisfied with, with seeking and desiring other stuff. And so we come to this, this walk with God. We come to this moment where we must realize that this idea of coveting is a theological issue. It's going to reveal what you think of God. It's going to show you what you think of God. It's going to affect that walk you have with God. See, our outward conduct can be regulated. We can walk the walk and talk the talk. We can say all the right things, fool all the right people. But God looks upon the heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows your motives. And those things we cannot see. So God is behind all your outward actions. He knows them. He knows the thoughts you have, if you will, of your heart. He knows uh, your innermost life. He knows what you're trying to hide. He knows your attempts at justifying or justifying things. He knows uh, the train wreck of your life that's in the past or maybe the one that you feel you're in the midst of. He knows everything because all is laid before him. No matter how good you walk and conduct yourselves to others, the Lord ultimately knows. This bothered Saul. is the one he could not keep. He later becomes Paul. So we can deceive others by external conformity, but we cannot fool the Lord. Illustration, David and Bathsheba. David, by theft, breaks the Eighth Commandment. He steals Bathsheba from another man. 
right? He commits adultery. He gets her pregnant, breaking the seventh commandment. And then to avoid the whole scandal arranged for her husband, Uriah, to be killed, breaking the sixth commandment. All of this began because David was coveting his neighbor's wife. And David thought to himself, I've got it all hidden. I've took care of every detail. I'm the king after all. See, it's from our inward defilements of our soul, the things that we desire that are unholy, things we consume our thoughts with, the things that enter into our life. Eventually, they show themselves as visible sins in the way we live, what we say. Listen to our Lord Jesus, Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, thefts, false witness, slanders. Notice Christ says evil thoughts. That's the start of this list. That's the first step on the ladder. It's what you're thinking about. It's your thoughts that lead to breaking the sixth commandment, murders. It's your thoughts that lead to adulteries, the seventh commandment, breaking it. Thefts, the Eighth Commandment, breaking it. He lists the other commandments. This is what's going on. It begins with our thinking. See, we can walk and come on Sundays and, and think we've got it all together, but the Lord knows your plight. He knows your struggle. He knows your sin. And you might be here this morning saying, hey, it's impossible. I, I, my mind is filled with all of these things. I, I battle it, but I still succumb to it. And friend, you're not seeking you're not pursuing. I understand the struggle. The struggle is real. But the Lord has given us his spirit. And the point of this commandment is to show you the hopelessness that you have of your own strength and of your own mind if you're left to yourself. We may list these other commandments and go, I've got them, I've got them, and lie to ourselves. But you cannot lie to yourself on this one. So God puts it last. And why does he put it last? Because it would propel you to Jesus Christ. It would propel you to the magnitude of his grace. It would propel you to the heart of repentance. You would come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop fooling yourself. You would come to trust the one who perfectly obeyed the law propel you to rest in the one whom the Father is well pleased. We may fool ourselves, but we will not fool the Lord. Jeremiah Burroughs, a Puritan in his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, said this, I find a sufficiency of satisfaction in my own heart through the grace of Christ that is in me. Though I have not outward comforts and worldly conveniences to supply my necessities, yet I have a sufficient portion between Christ and my soul abundantly to satisfy me in every condition. Friend, if it's, if it's you here today struggling with this, saturate your heart with Christ. That's what Jeremiah is saying. God knows what you need. He knows the struggle and he is saying, I am sufficient for you. 
The gospel is precious to those who are redeemed. Therefore, what we need is Jesus. The Lord is not giving his son so you would have a better way of living. Regardless of prosperity, preachers. God gave his son even though we didn't realize we needed him. And yet, in the hands of his own creation, we nailed him to the cross. We love because he first loved us. When we come to Jesus, we receive the forgiveness of sins. We can lay the struggle down. We can pray for help. We can pray for the filling of his spirit. We can receive his perfect righteousness. We come to Jesus, we, we know the promise. It's our promise of eternal life, a love that never ends. We have the promise he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Will you receive the promise that will help us through all of life's trials? This is what we need. Faith is always the answer to discontent. God is telling you, trust me. Trust me. Dr. Michael Horton says this, It is not poverty or wealth that leads us to contentment and trust in the Lord but the confidence that if God provided so richly for our salvation by choosing, redeeming, calling, adopting, and justifying us, and by sending His Spirit to cause us to grow up into Christ's likeness, then surely we can count on Him for the less essential matters of daily existence. Dr. Horton, you are correct. Jesus is right. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. These things will be added to you. It is the first, the main, and the only thing that matters. He is enough. We are to work in this life. We are to pursue the betterment of this life. We are not to lose sight of the Lord's provision. We are not to look upon any other things and covet them we are to rest in the fact that God has so ordained your life that at such a time as this, you are breathing, and where he has placed you and the things he has blessed you with are the things he desires that you would be a good steward of. Then be that good steward. Don't lose sight of the, of the, the, the enemy's lust and the things of the world. Keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus. Seek the Lord. Repent of worrying, repent of greed, and rest and be content in Christ. He is enough. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of this word that Christ truly is enough for us. We see in this commandment that it's easy for the, the world to intervene, the enemy to intervene, and to just take our eyes off of the sufficiency of Jesus, off of the kingdom and his righteousness. And to allow things to creep into our thoughts that, that, lead to, uh, that lead to sins. So Father, I pray by your spirit you would make us aware of where our thought life is at, what we're thinking, and that we would walk humbly with you. Now, we know this is a battle as we rage against sin. We know that we are in Christ Jesus, but 
Lord, we continue to grow in our holiness. We continue to live in this world, but we're not of this world. So, Father, we pray, fill us afresh and anew that we would be a set-apart people, that we would desire right things, good things for our community, good things for our neighbors, and that we would rest in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Let your law, Lord, propel us closer to you, that we would be... Lord, just encourage knowing that we are loving you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourself. Lead us that way. Father, we thank you. We love you. And we pray all this in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to close by singing uh, this wonderful hymn, Martin Luther's um, the mighty fortress is our God. And I, I just encourage you as we sing this hymn, uh, realize what God has done. He's a mighty fortress. Look at the enemy who rages, and yet Christ is sufficient. So rest in the fact that God is, is the one. Um, we're going to sing this here in a moment. If you have questions uh, about the sermon, about knowing Christ, or you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. I'll be available up here. Come, Please come and see me. Uh, but let's just one more time Give praise to God, because he loves us so, and he is a mighty fortress. Let's stand together and let's sing this together.